A few years ago, uh, my wife Carrie and I had an opportunity to together visit uh, Playa del Carmen in Mexico. And uh, one of the days while we were there, we decided to venture outside of the resort and to go visit the downtown marketplace in Playa. And so we got a cab at the, the, the entrance to the resort and went down there and spent the whole day uh, in downtown Playa shopping and sightseeing and eating and getting souvenirs to bring home to the kids and all that good stuff. Well, the day went by and it's about seven or eight in the evening at this point and it's time to head back to the resort. And it is a beautiful night that evening weather-wise. There's uh, the resort's about three miles away and um, I thought maybe we should just walk back to the resort instead of getting a cab because you know cabs cost mucho dinero and walking does not cost mucho dinero and so that's what we did because I suggested it. Anyway, long story short, um, Carrie and I are alive and well. Um, we came back safely. We weren't abducted and we weren't harmed or harassed or even talked to along the way. Um, but it was an interesting walk, let's just say that. Did you know that just a couple blocks off of the main drag at probably any Mexican tourist area, it's not so friendly to tourists anymore, and it only takes a couple blocks. And in fact, at least the road that we were walking, not many people walked it at all, and they didn't invest in streetlights on that road, so it was quite dark. Uh, also found out uh, one of the ways they get a layer of security in Mexico is they just take their Dos Equis bottles, break them, and put, you know, pieces of glass all along the walls or the fences that are outside of their home. And there was this moment we were walking where we couldn't see yet the resort in front of us and we couldn't see downtown Playa behind us that I was asking myself and we were asking ourselves this question. How did we get here? Two Americans walking in the middle of nowhere Mexico. And of course, we had, you know, we had a, I always carry two guns with me everywhere I go. <laughs> but how did we get here, right? Have you ever been in a situation like that how, where you're asking yourself the question, how did we get here? What did we get ourselves into the middle of? Good thing I had Carrie with me. Um, she told me how we got there. <laughs> you wanted to save mucho dinero, Ben. That's how we got here. <laughs> like I said, have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe not in the middle of Mexico, but at some point in your life where you, you woke up or you stopped to think about it and you just asked yourself the question, how did we get here? Or how did I get here? And, and sometimes that question comes because you cannot believe the outpouring of blessings that God has given. And life is better than you could have ever imagined. And we just need to stop to think about it. How did I get here? Today, I want to concentrate on the reverse of that. That sometimes we open our eyes or we think for a moment and things aren't the way we had wanted and we ask the question, how, how, did, how did we get here? Maybe it's a marriage relationship where it's hard for you guys to have a conversation about anything important because it just devolves into arguing. Or maybe it's a 
parent-older child, adult-child relationship or adult-child-parent relationship where, to be honest, there's no relationship at all because you don't talk anymore and you haven't seen each other for a really long time. How did, how did we get here? Maybe it's a financial situation where because of some spending in the past, you have so much debt that you don't know how you're going to dig out of it. How did, how did we get here? Maybe it's a work situation or a career that honestly doesn't fill your bucket and you don't love it. And you wake up one day in your mid-40s and ask, how, how did I get here? Let me make you a promise, okay? Because if you've ever thought that about something in your life, you're not alone. I'm going to promise you something. It's our first fill-in for today. That life will take you to unlikely places, hopefully not the middle of nowhere Mexico, but life will take you to unlikely places and unexpected situations. It's just the way it is for all of us. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know exactly how our life's going to turn out. And so be ready for it. Understand there's going to be a point in your life where you wake up and you ask the question, how in all the world did I get here? where I'm at. And, and sometimes the reason why you're where you are is because of the decision to not hail a cab, but to walk. And it's my fault, right? You see, if when the kids move out, there's not much left of a friendship between husband and wife, it could be because over the years, we didn't intentionally make the time or the little deposits into the relationship. And so how did we get here? Well, you kind of know how you got there. And then there's other times where we wake up and it's not that life happens because of me, it's that life happened to me. I, I think of a number of you that attend here regularly that have had some pretty major health difficulties and concerns over the last couple of years, and it's not like you were totally unhealthy or anything, or unhealthy at all. It just kind of happened to you. I think of uh, someone who's dating, whether it be a teenager or a 20-something, um, where unexpectedly someone decides to break up with you. Um, how, did, how did we get here? It wasn't anything that I did. It's not anything I could control. It just... It just happened. Today's word of God, today's scripture is going to give some tremendous comfort and encouragement to people who at times in their life wake up and are in an unlikely place or an unexpected situation and might have the tendency to ask the question, where am I? How did I get here? You see, we're in uh, part three of a series uh, called God is Here. And what we're doing as we work towards celebrating the most famous appearance of God, that being God as human flesh named Jesus at Christmas, we're looking at some other times in the historical account in the Bible of when God appeared to people in a special way. And every time he appeared, he appeared for a specific reason with a very specific message at a very important and critical time in a person's life. Today, we're going to see God appear to someone in the Old Testament named Jacob. Jacob lived about 1,800 years before Jesus was born. And uh, Jacob happens to be also the son of 
two people named Isaac and Rebecca. If you were here with us uh, last week, we talked a little bit about Isaac's story, um, about how his parents' names are Abraham and Sarah, and how they were able to have a child when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, which is a miracle, of course. And um, that Isaac's name, let's see if people who were here last week remember, means what? Very good. It means laughter. Yeah, it means laughter because Sarah's cynical laughter, like, God can't do that. Give me a child, turned into laughter of joy and confidence. And so they named Isaac laughter. Well, years later, Isaac had a child named Jacob. And Jacob had an older twin brother named Esau. Now, one of the things you need to know about culture back then is that there was benefits to being the oldest son. Um, The oldest son would receive more of the inheritance than any of the other kids. He'd also be considered the next patriarch of the family. In biblical terms, we call that he received the blessing and the birthright. Well, there was something very interesting about this situation because before these boys were born, God told Isaac and Rebekah that the older... Esau, would end up serving the younger, Jacob. And that Jacob, the younger, would receive the blessing instead of Esau, the older one. Well, Isaac gets up there in years and he sees that his time on earth is not going to be long. And so whether he forgot about the blessing, which I highly doubt, or just decided not to follow it, Isaac calls Esau in to give him the blessing instead of Jacob. You see, Jacob did, I'm sorry, Isaac did what parents should never do. He played favorites amongst his kids. You see, Esau was a man's man. Um, He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. And and, uh, Jacob was not those things. Um, He was Gordon Ramsay. Um, He was Jamie Oliver. He stayed in and he liked to cook and spend time with mom. He kind of a mama's boy, right? Type of thing. And so as Isaac's getting older, he wants to give Esau the blessing. And he tells Esau to go out to hunt for dinner and prepare it just the way he likes it and then bring it to him and he's going to give him the birthright and the blessing. Well, Rebecca hears about Isaac's plan and instead of talking to Isaac about it and sharing, you know, hey, this is, remember what God said that Jacob's supposed to get these things? She instead just tries to figure it out on her own. And so Jacob and Rebecca get together and they prepare their own meal while Esau is out hunting just the way Isaac likes it. And Jacob's going to present it to Isaac as if he was Esau. But one problem, Jacob and Esau were very different people and they hung out in very different places. And so even though Isaac was blind at the time, he'd be able to figure it out because he wouldn't smell like Esau. So Jacob puts on Esau's clothes. Esau was a hairy man. And so Jacob, uh, with Rebekah's encouragement, put goat skin on his arms and also on the back of his neck. And then he goes in. You can just imagine this sight, right? Like wearing Esau's clothes with goat skin on. Isaac can't see him. He's bringing some good food. And ends up that Isaac does give Jacob the blessing, thinking that it was Esau. And you thought that your family had some drama at Christmas time, right? I mean, this is crazy. But it's true, it all happened. 
So as it's recorded, it's almost as if Jacob is leaving with goatskin hair all over himself as Esau is coming back with the meal to give to Isaac. And eventually, of course, Esau finds out what happens and he's not very happy. In fact, here's what Esau says about the situation in Genesis 27. The, the days of mourning for my father are near. He's just saying that Isaac is, is not long for this earth. Then, when he dies, I will kill my brother Jacob. So Rebecca hears about this, and she's freaking out because she obviously doesn't want anything to happen to Jacob. And so it ends up that Jacob immediately flees, leaves home, and heads towards Uncle Laban's home in a place called Haran. And with all that drama, that's where we pick it up. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He was fleeing from Esau. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Now, if you looked in the service handout today, you'll notice that my theme for today is God is here in a certain place. And that seems like a very ambiguous title, but this is where it comes from. It was meant to be an ambiguous way that the writer wrote about this because the place was so obscure, you would never go there unless you were forced to. The place was so nothing important about it that you would never have planned, if you could plan, to go to the place where he was. It was just a certain place. It's, it's like when you just went on a road trip and the next month you get the credit card bill. And you know how you have to fill up with gas more when you're on a long road trip? And oftentimes you pull over and stop in places where you didn't even know you were there. I didn't even know what this place was called. Van Wert, Iowa? You know what Van Wert, Iowa is? It's a certain place, okay? That's where Jacob was. A, a place nondescript, not important. It was just a place. Not a place he would have normally gone to. Not a place he wanted to be. And that was how he was feeling that night. See, his dad was... Filthy rich, the Bible tells us. Very, very blessed. Jacob never financially had a care in the world. And now he's fleeing for his life. And all he has is the clothes that he's wearing and a staff in his hand. Next verse. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Not even a pillow. Uses a stone to sleep on. Do you ever find yourself thinking before you fall asleep? Sometimes you're so exhausted that you're just out. But a lot of times, before you go to sleep is a great time and sometimes even an unwanted time where you're just kind of forced to process things because you can't turn your mind off. Can you imagine as Jacob lies down to sleep in Van Wert, Iowa, I mean a certain place, all the things that are on his mind and heart. He's thinking about the past and the guilt that he must have felt that he and his mom tricked their father, didn't communicate with their brother, and that ultimately didn't trust God. He had to been processing his present. I mean, he's all by himself. At least I had Carrie when I was walking in Mexico in the dark. Jacob had 
No one. Just the staff. He's trying to think about his future. He's, he's going to a place he had never been to meet someone, an uncle, he had never met, not knowing what his future is like. And as he puts his head down on a rock that he called a pillow, there's a whole lot going on in his mind and his heart. And at the root of it is this. Jacob did not fully trust that God had things under control. That's why all of this happened. When he heard Esau, when Rebekah heard that Esau was going to go and get the birthright and the blessing, they did not believe, they did not trust that God could had this, that he had it under his control. So as they went out on their own, it just caused a whole lot of problems, a whole bunch of issues. And now Jacob's stuck in a certain place asking, how did I get here? Here's the first encouragement for today from this scripture. I want you to know what Jacob, I'm sure, learned in that moment, that we don't need to help God carry out his plan. We just need to trust him that he will. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes use us to carry out his plan. He does all the time. But we're not helping him. Because believe it or not, he could accomplish his plan without us. He's allowing us to be a part of something that is way bigger than ourselves. Don't think for a moment that God needs our help. You know what? It's like when we are thinking that God needs us to help him out. It's like, guys, when we're carrying in the Christmas tree and the three-year-old wants to help, they kind of hold on to like one little branch with the needles and all that happens is, first of all, the needles fall off that branch and they get hit in the head as they're walking through a doorway because it's not wide enough. It's like, yeah, you can help me, but you're not helping. You're actually hurting yourself. You're making it worse. That's what it's like when we think in our brains, like we need to, I mean, here's God's, I need to, I need to do something, even if it's sin in the case of Jacob, to help God out because for some reason we don't trust that God can figure out and can carry out his plan without us. We just need to trust. One last thing on this. This isn't a call to just sit on our hands and do nothing. Once again, God has given us roles and jobs and he wants us to be a part of the awesome things he's doing in this world. But we're working with him And the attitude, not that he needs me, but that I I get to. I'm just going to trust that he's going to make things work out the way they were supposed to. Verse 12. Keep going. He had a dream as he was sleeping in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and there above it stood the Lord. So here's what God does for Jacob in that moment of doubt. He allows Jacob to see something that he would have not normally seen. And in the middle of the dream, God is here and he pulls back the curtain of what was going on and what is going on and what has been going on and what Jacob sees are angels 
going up and down a stairway to God and back to Jacob and to God and back to Jacob and to God and back to Jacob. And what that was a picture of, and maybe it actually works this way, although God knows everything, but was God wanting Jacob to understand while he thought he was in a certain place, he was there with God all along. And as Jacob was praying and thinking and, and bringing his request to God. The angels were carrying them up to God and God was sending the angels back down with his strength and with his help. That God pulled back the curtain for just a moment and allowed Jacob to see what was going on all the time. God wasn't sleeping on his promise that Jacob would get the birthright God wasn't far away in the midst of a moment where it looked like Esau was going to get it instead. God just had a different way for the plan to work out if Jacob would have just stopped to trust. But in this moment, what God wanted Jacob to realize that even though he had sin, that is, Jacob did, that God is here, that God was still with him. He wasn't on vacation. He had been there all along. You don't have to see people at work to know that they're working. I mean, think of the kids singing this morning. I bet none of you thought that the risers just uh, magically appeared. Or that it just was a coincidence that the two songs that the band was going to play corresponded with the two songs that the kids had learned. Or that the soundboard worked out all right where you could just kind of hear Becca and Cindy, but yet you still mostly heard the kids. And yet we get here on a Sunday morning and that all happened. You know why? Because people were working behind the scenes the entire time. And while we sometimes just get to see the finished product, you intuitively know this wouldn't have happened unless someone was working. And that's the way it is with God. Sometimes God allows us to be able to see a little bit of the, hidden, the, the finished product. But whether he does or whether he doesn't, it doesn't make any difference of the reality that God is working right now. You feel like you're in a certain place. God knows that. And his angels right now are carrying that to the Lord. And he's sending back his strength and his provision and his help. God is with you. And he has been with you all along. And today in this account, we see God is here as he just allows us to see behind the curtain just a little bit to open our eyes to that which so often we either forgot or never knew. Verse 13. The Lord said, okay, angel's still going up and down. God is there and he speaks. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, his grandfather and his dad. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, meaning they will be that numerous. And you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. Ever, anyone ever heard this promise before? I think most of us have, and here's why. Because it wasn't just given to Jacob. It was repeated over and over and over again. 
And you see, as Jacob is lying there, God knew exactly what he needed. He needed to see a glimpse of God's presence, but then verbally what Jacob did not need were the three ways to survive in the wilderness or the seven steps and how to be successful in Haran. Like those would have been helpful, but that's not what Jacob needed. You know what he needed the most? He needed to know that nothing changed between him and God because he had screwed up. And if he hadn't, he wouldn't be in a certain place. He'd be at home. But although he had sinned and did not trust like he should have, he hadn't rejected God and God certainly hadn't rejected him. And the thing he needed the most was God to repeat the promise of his love and of his grace and of his blessing. Yeah, you screwed up, Jacob. But my promise is still intact. And I'm still going to bless you. Verse 14 continues. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, Jacob. I I'm with you. I'm with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. Um, Before Jacob returned, years later, to reunion with Esau, guess where he stopped first? A certain place. That place. And he comments that when he first arrived there, the part that we're reading about today, he had nothing but a staff in his hand. And when he returns, his family and his possessions are so large that they're divided into two camps. See, God was with him the entire time and he brought him back to the land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, any of you ever seen a vision of angels going up and down a stairway? So what encouragement, what blessing can we receive today? Well, of course, we're blessed through being able to see what Jacob saw, but there's, there's something else. The beginning of this verse, it says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Jacob, and through your offspring. And as I know most of you know, that offspring part is directed towards especially and almost totally one offspring, Jesus, the Son of God, born of Mary, born at Christmas. Now, when Jesus was in his 30s, he began uh, his public ministry and he called a bunch of people to follow him. Um, They are known as the disciples. And as he was calling a a man named Nathaniel near the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus pointed out something that he couldn't have known unless he was God. He, he said, I, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Even though Jesus, humanly speaking, would not have been able to see that because it was out of his purview. And Nathan is so amazed by the fact that Jesus would know where he was sitting and even what he was doing there, that Nathan's like, that's enough. I'm going to follow. I don't maybe understand everything about this Jesus, but oh my goodness, There's something special about him. And as he is amazed about what Jesus 
knew about Nathan? Jesus is like, hold up a second. You think that's great? Here's something better. John chapter 1, verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, Nathaniel, you see, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And in this moment, what Jesus is doing is he's making a direct reference back to Jacob's dream, which every Jewish boy would have learned about and would have known about. And he's saying, I'm going to do something for you. As you spend time with me, you're going to see through my work as Savior, both in what I teach, but ultimately on the cross and in my resurrection, you're going to see the chasm between us and God, between Nathaniel and God, between Jacob and God, between sinners and God. You're going to see that chasm bridged. Not because Jesus is going to build a bridge through which you can climb to God, but as it says, he is going to be the stairway on which we, just like the angels, get to get to heaven on the Son of Man. He is the one that would close the chasm between us and a perfect God. Number three, um, Jesus came not to create a way to climb to God. He came to be the way to God. And once again, you know, Jesus, God came not with seven steps to how to find success in Heron, and he doesn't come to us today with seven steps in how to have a good relationship with God. He says, I just want to repeat my promise to you. You're trying to do all these things. You're trying to look a certain way. You're way too concerned about how you come off in public and in front of me. Don't worry about that. He's repeating his promise to you today that I still love you. And even though you're not a physical son of Abraham, you are by faith a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And I'm with you. And I will be forever. <laughs> Genesis 28, last couple of verses. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I just thought it was Van Wert. Um, I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? You see, when God shows up, it's awesome. When God shows up, it's special. When God shows up and is with you, it's not just a certain place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Next verse. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he, he set up the, the pillow as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, which signified that, that God was present, and he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz, um, like, I think it's because whoever ended up there, they, they lost. It was like, it's called, no, it has nothing to do with it. But have any of you ever heard of Luz? No, you know why? It's a certain place, right? No one cares about Luz. It's Loserville, right? It's just, it's just a place. But did you notice that when God opened up the curtain to what was going on, Jacob's certain place became what? Bethel a place of God. 
Um, Bethel, as it says, uh, is a Hebrew word. You know the word Bethlehem. I, I once knew a church named that. Um, and Beth means house, and Lechem, Lehem, means bread, house of bread. Bethel, Beth means house, and El means God, house of God. It was called Bethel, house of God. God changed and turned Jacob's certain place. How did I get here? Into the place of God. Here's your application. And it might just be psychological, but it is certainly spiritual. I want you to know, number four, that Jesus has given you naming rights. So sometimes pouting is needed and you need to get it out of your system. But once that's happened and you're back to a good mental place, here's how you take the next step. You acknowledge that you may not be where you want to be, but you're not going to call it a certain place anymore that God through Jesus has given you the right to name where you are something different because wherever God's people are, there are angels ascending and descending to him. And you call this place, wherever it is, I don't know where I'm at, how did I get here? You're at Bethel because God is with you. God is here. I may not have possessions, but I have God's presence. I may not have money, but I have God's presence. I may not have people, but I have God's presence. I may not have the perfect life, but I have God's presence. And he said, I will not leave you or forsake you. Surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. But sometimes it's just that we're not seeing what is right in front of us because we see something as one pastor said, and I love it, he said, you see something and you count it a setback, but God might be seeing it as a setup to do something better in your life. You come to a place in your life and you look at it as a dead end. It's just a certain place. He's like, this is Bethel. It's just that you were so busy being busy, I had to grab your attention. It's no dead end. It's a time to turn around and to do something different. You think where you're at is a time of desperation. But no, where you're at is Bethel. And what God might be doing is his greatest work in you yet. So, I don't know where you are today. Hopefully not in a dark street in Playa del Carmen. But I know what you can call it. Through Jesus, you're at Bethel, and God is with you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, uh, thank you for coming to this earth so long ago, carrying out the, and fulfilling the plan of God to bless the entire world through the offspring of Jacob. And Lord, uh, you certainly have blessed us, and sometimes it doesn't always show up in the ways that you know, we'd like, and yet we get to spend each day in your presence because of Jesus. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we've taken that for granted and help us, maybe it's just a shift of mind and heart to see today where we're at, warts and all, difficulties and all, as a place that we can rightly call the house of God.
you're with us. Amen.